Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's June 15th, a Wednesday, so we're all about healthcare today. Specifically, we're going to do a deep dive on the most costly disease in the United States on a per-person, per-year basis. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I'm joined today not just by our awesome healthcare contributor, Todd Campbell, but also a voice that will sound equally familiar to regular listeners. This is the host of Industry Focus Financials, Gabby LaPera. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi, how are you? Doing great. We're really excited to be talking to you today. For those who missed it, Gabby did an amazing show on Monday this week about mutual funds that I'd highly recommend everybody check out. If you're used to Gabby's financial sector expertise, you might be scratching your head. Why is she here to do a deep dive on the healthcare sector? But this episode has actually been a long time coming. Gabby's been prodding me to have her come on the show and talk for ages about diabetes. Gabby, uh, can you share some of your background and why exactly you were so excited to do the show? So I actually got my master's degree in anthropology, specifically biological anthropology, and my thesis was on um, the, how the endocrine system and metabolism and physical activity all kind of played into each other, um, and how we have a, a mismatch between our evolutionary environment and our modern environment, and as a result, I did a lot of research on diabetes and insulin and leptin and glucagon and all these great hormones that we're going to get to talk about today. And so I'm just very enthusiastic about the topic because it's so, so interesting and it's so important to the country right now as, as, a, as a matter of public health. Yeah, and, and speaking of just how important it is, Todd, can you kick us off with some numbers about the scope of this disease? Absolutely. This is, it, it's, it's a monster, if you will, of a disease. It affects hundreds of millions of people. It costs hundreds of billions of dollars annually to treat. And it's a global uh, problem. You know, I mean, people are starting to, are, are calling it epidemic, if you will. I mean, there are forecasts out there among industry watchers suggesting that 200 million more people are going to end up being diagnosed with this disease uh, through 2040. That means there'll be 640-ish or something like that million people uh, worldwide who are suffering with diabetes and therefore exposed to the risk of cardiovascular disease and some of the other diseases that can result from uh, having diabetes for a lifetime. It's really insane how these numbers have grown. So there are 415 million people worldwide. That's roughly 9% of the world's population that have this disease. And that's more than doubled since 2000. And Todd, as you mentioned, this is expected to grow pretty substantially within the next 20 years or so. And what's really interesting is that in 2012, at least in the U.S., the CDC um, estimated that around 30% of people who had diabetes weren't diagnosed with diabetes yet. That's insane. And right, we do, the pre-diabetes population is massive. 79 million pre-diabetics just within the United States. So this, this is a disease that has pretty serious health consequences, too. It's estimated that 5 million people will die from diabetes-related diseases this year. Gabby, can you go into a little bit more depth on what exactly this disease is and what it does? Yeah, absolutely. So diabetes in its most basic sense is the body's inability to appropriately regulate its blood sugar levels. And this is called glucose homeostasis. Homeo meaning same, or homeo meaning inside. (laughs) Sorry about that. And stasis meaning the same. So you want to maintain like a fairly even blood sugar level because if you have too much, that's called hyperglycemia. Um, And you end up with a, a whole 
host of issues, but basically the end result is death, unfortunately. And then the other the other side of that is if you have too little blood sugar, then you have hypoglycemia, and that also ends in death. So it's really, really important that your body get this right. Fortunately, our body is a little bit better at tolerating hyperglycemia than hypoglycemia. Um, hypoglycemia, that lack of blood sugar, uh, that, that results in death a lot faster, unfortunately, just because your body really needs sugar in order to run everything like muscles and heart and brain and all that good stuff. Um, hyperglycemia is tolerated for a little bit longer, but not indefinitely. And that's when you see diabetes, when you have this like prolonged instances of hyperglycemia. And so you hear about glycemia and you think glucose and you hear a lot about insulin. What is the relationship there? Yeah, so there are two major hormones that are involved in helping regulate your blood sugar. The first is insulin and the other one is glucagon. And these guys are involved in kind of this intricate dance that help with the regulation. Now, glucagon's main job is to make sure that there is plenty of blood sugar or plenty of sugar in your blood so that your body can do things. Um, so, Because your body uses sugar to um, make energy, basically. And your your body needs that in order to move your muscles and have your heart beat and your brain work. Um, so you want some sugar in your blood. Insulin comes in and helps you... Um, uh, helps the body take away sugar from the blood, and it does that uh, by transporting sugar into the liver or muscles where it can be stored or into fatty tissue is the other option for it. Um, and that's a really important process as well. So that suggests that a mechanism for treating this could be to directly reduce your levels of glucagon. And in fact, that is exactly what a class of drug called the GLP-1 agonists do. These are drugs like Novo Nordisk's Victoza. And these are surprisingly very effective, despite there being lots of other ways to go about tackling this disease. Is this the, the best way? How do, how do these work? What, what should we look for in these drugs? So I can speak to how they work. Um, GLP-1, uh, if you want to look it up on the internet, it's GLP-1. Uh, it stands for glucagon-like peptide 1, because there's also a 2. Um, and glucagon-like peptide 1 is a hormone that's actually naturally secreted by your body, by your gut. And so when food hits your gut, your body starts secreting GLP and uh, GLP-1. And um, the GLP-1 uh, basically preps your body for receiving a big rush of sugar. So that way it can start releasing insulin from the pancreas earlier. Now, this exogenous, um, exogenous means uh, a medication that, or a hormone that comes from outside the body. It's not one that your body naturally produces. So this exogenous GLP-1, which is the drugs that Christine is talking about, um, works in the exact same way. And it's really interesting because GLP-1 has been shown to obviously start the pancreas secreting insulin, but it also looks like and increases insulin sensitivity in the alpha cells of the pancreas, which are the ones that are responsible for producing glucagon. So that means the pancreas is more sensitive to, to, um, to changes in blood sugar levels. It also increases sensitivity in the beta cells. And not only that, this is really wild, and I don't know if they've proven this in humans yet, but it looks like GLP-1 increases the mass of the beta cells in the pancreas, which are the ones responsible for producing insulin. So that means that they get bigger. And that means they are. it, it also increases the expression of insulin. So um, more insulin is being produced. Uh, the post-translational modification, so turning it into insulin, is also increased. And the secretion of insulin is also increased. So GLP-1 is working through all these different methods. And then on top of that, this is so cool, 
It's amazing. I GLP- love the enthusiasm, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Good. GLP-1 also looks like it decreases glucagon um, in the body, which makes sense. Uh, and not only that, this is like the most mind-blowing like, part of GLP-1 is it also has um, effects on the brain. So it looks like it also decreases hunger. And this is huge for people with type 2 diabetes, right? Um, yeah, the, something we haven't talked about yet is the relationship between obesity and diabetes, which is absolutely a factor here. They are definitely comorbidities. Um, so just to back up a little bit, in case you don't know, there are two types. Well, there's three types of diabetes, technically. The third is gestational diabetes, and we're not going to talk about that today. But type 1 and type 2 diabetes um, are the ones that are most widely known. Type 1 diabetes used to be called juvenile diabetes or early onset diabetes because um, it would typically start happening in kids when they were young. And we're pretty sure that it's an autoimmune response and it's T cells attacking these beta cells in the pancreas, the ones that are responsible for producing the insulin. And so these people are left with little to no ability to produce insulin. Um, And so they must receive all of their insulin exogenously. And then type 2 diabetes is a type of diabetes that you can basically give to yourself. Um, And it's kind of a mix between both um, not being able to produce enough insulin and becoming insulin resistant. And insulin resistance basically means that the receptors on your cells can't hear the signal of insulin anymore. Um, And a good way to think about this is, for example, when you got dressed this morning, you put on your shirt. And you maybe felt your shirt for like the first couple minutes, and then until I brought it up again, you weren't thinking about how the the shirt felt on your body. The same thing happens to your cells. They basically can't become exhausted from hearing the signal, so they just block it out. And this happens when there's too much insulin in the blood all the time from having really high blood sugar levels. Um, with type 2 diabetics, it's a mix. It can be more of the insulin resistance and less of the um, inability to produce insulin or the other way around. And for context, 90 to 95% of diabetics are type 2. So that's by far the most common of them. Absolutely. Bringing it back around to these GLP-1 agonists, Todd, can you help us understand here what the market looks like for these drugs? Absolutely. The the market for um, medicine in treating diabetes is big. I mean, you're talking about massive patient population. Um, historically speaking, you know, diet and exercise are your first weapons against the disease. Then you get moved on to some tablets. Metformin is commonly used. Then you can be prescribed any number of other things, including injectable insulins. And insulin itself, for example, is a $17 billion a year market. So just in selling uh, uh, injectable insulin, you're talking about $17 billion. As we said Previously, the GLP-1 drugs are incredibly interesting because they may have a lot of benefits um, on how on outcomes, and and that's so important in treating this disease because if you're able to reduce the number of cardiovascular uh, events, then you know you're saving people's lives, and you know GLP-1 drugs may be able to do that. Of the GLP-1 drugs that are on the market, the granddaddy or the one that that jumps out is Victoza, which is Novo Nordisk's GLP-1 drug. And I, I think that from an investor standpoint, looking at the different players that are involved in treating diabetes is important. 
Um, Novo Nordisk is probably the largest, we'll call it purest play. Uh, they do have some other drugs in hemophilia, but for the most part, the vast majority of the revenue comes from diabetes drugs like Victoza, like Novolog, other injectable insulins um, that they sell. Um, Eli Lilly's got drugs out there that treat diabetes. Johnson & Johnson sells a drug called Invokana um, that's a billion-dollar drug. Uh, but you know, for investors looking to have exposure to diabetes treatment, Novo Nordisk um, would be the one that I think that they should spend the most of their time researching. So you mentioned the cardiovascular outcomes, and we actually just heard earlier this week from Novo about Victoza that they were able to cut cardiovascular risks by 13% in a long-term outcome study. This was the first of the GLP-1s to demonstrate this sort of benefit, and it's known to not be a class-wide benefit, which is really interesting because we hear also about a totally different class of drugs to treat diabetes called the SGLT2 inhibitors. And these drugs have a totally different mechanism that I will soon ask Gabby to explain. But there is some speculation with these drugs that are more, they're newer, that they could have a class-wide cardiovascular benefit. See, that's really interesting. So the SGL2 um, drugs, that the SGL2, SGL2 to begin with, starts for sodium glucose cotransporter 2. And it's a transporter protein that's dependent on sodium to basically ferry glucose wherever it's going. Um, and these guys are in the, in the kidneys. Um, and so what happens is that if you, um, if you block the SGL2, these are SGL2 inhibitors, so you inhibit their function, um, that means that they're not letting the glucose that's coming through the kidneys go back into the bloodstream. So basically you, you're going to urinate most of your excess glucose out, which is a lot safer than having it build up in your bloodstream and do bad things. Yeah, and these are used alongside metformin and insulin just to improve your control over your, your glucose. Right, it's Johnson & Johnson that makes the, the best selling of that uh, SGLT2 drug. That's Invokana, the one that has a, a $1.3 billion run rate um, uh, today. I think a large part of that is they were the first to market with this sort of drug. It's already been on the market for about a year and a half. Where that's, that's not even true. They've actually been on the market for almost three years. They beat everybody else to market by a year and a half. So it is by far the best selling of this class. But you also have a couple of competitors. You have AstraZeneca with Farxiga. I might be saying that wrong, as usual with these drug names. But that's the second most popular in this class. But the one I think is really interesting, particularly because we were talking about these cardiovascular outcomes, is Eli Lilly's Jardians, which somewhat recently they announced that it actually did have great outcomes in this long-term trial. And the other two that we mentioned, Farxiga and Invokana, we're not going to have long-term data on their cardiovascular outcomes until 2019. So it's perceived that this could be a class-wide effect, but we don't know for sure yet. Right. It's going to be really interesting to see how the doctors react to that news. I mean, if they're going to assume that it's a class-wide effect and continue to prescribe Invokana instead of um, um, Jardians or not, you know, Jardian sales are kind of a trickle compared to these other drugs. I think they did about $38 million in sales uh, last quarter. So um, it will be interesting to watch and see how that plays out among prescribers. And in case you're wondering why we're all so obsessed with the cardiovascular effects of these drugs, it's because when you have diabetes, your risk of dying from cardiovascular disease is conservatively doubled, I believe. I don't quote me on that number, but it is increased by a lot. So anything that reduces that chance is huge. 
Yeah. And the majority of deaths in, that are caused by diabetes are caused by cardiovascular uh, issues. I mean, it's microvascular stuff that gets affected. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that is insane. So we've talked about a couple of different classes within the treatment space. One other element to investing in this space from a treatment perspective that I find kind of intriguing is in medical devices, because convenience is super important as this is a chronic condition. Absolutely. And that really helps people manage it. Or Devices um, help people manage their diabetes a lot better than they did before. And um, there's a new, well, I guess a newish class of device that uh, that can be um, inserted on the body, on the on the skin somewhere, and it continuously monitors your blood sugar and will administer insulin depending on how much, on what your current blood sugar level is. And these are called CGMs, continuous glucose monitors. The big company that's making them right now that I know is one of your favorites, Todd, to talk about is Dexcom. Right. Dexcom's making these continuous uh, monitors that are allowing you to basically chart your uh, blood sugar over time, which is amazing. I mean, you know, Gabby, you brought up the fact that if you put on a shirt, you feel it at first and then you don't feel it the rest of the day. You know, yes, you may be able to tell when you're when you're out of sorts or when your blood sugar is off. But, you know, Dexcom has found that 70 percent of the time, most diabetics are outside of their desired range in blood sugar. So I I think it's the analogy makes sense to be used here, too, is that you just don't know sometimes was you're getting in creeping up closer to those problem uh, zones that that's actually happening. And by by charting the data, being able to to keep better track of it. Uh, in this way, then you can you, you can better control it. And if you can better control it, maybe then you can delay the progression of the disease. And again, therefore, you know, and, and delay, you know, things like cardiovascular events. Uh, another point to make here is that this is kind of becoming a pretty high tech space where you get companies that are coming in and want you to be able to see your continuous glucose levels on your iPhone and to be able to send that to your doctor, send that to your parents, send that to the people that really matter. I had a conversation earlier this year with the CEO of a company called Livongo, which they're a privately held company, but you might recognize the CEO's name, Glenn Tolman. He's the former CEO of Allscripts. But anyway, um, this was also mentioned in a March interview that I did with MuleSoft, for those of you that have been listening to the podcast for a couple of months now or longer. So, anywho, Livongo is making... uh, what their goal is here is to monitor chronic conditions remotely via a connected device. Then you can send the data to your doctors for analysis. You can share it with people that matter to you, as we were just mentioning. Uh, and they also have a staff of coaches that's available for support and monitoring. And this is a company that has a reach in general chronic conditions, but they started off just in diabetes, mostly because it's such a humongous disease. It really, really matters. Plus, 70% of people with diabetes that are 50 years or older have one or more other chronic diseases. So you get companies that are coming into this space because they recognize that there's a huge unmet need. And they're really changing the way that we treat this disease and, and the lives of the people that have to manage it every single day. Which leads me to my final question of the day, which is what's coming next? What do you guys see coming up for the diabetes space in the next, say, 10 years or so? Will, will this disease be more prevalent or less prevalent? 
It's going to be more prevalent, in my opinion, uh, and I think that from a treatment standpoint, you really you just touched on it. I mean, you're, people are going to take a more holistic view of how of of watching, tracking, and treating this disease, and that's going to mean that you're going to have a convergence between the medical devices such as monitors, the insulin pumps that are used uh, with them, and you know the medicine that can get be used to treat them. So I think that you're going to see a much more integrated approach. I think you're also going to see some advances in the way drugs are, are dosed. I mean, I, you know, injections have been the standard uh, for insulin and some of these other medications. But, you know, companies like Novo Nordisk have, you know, fairly advanced clinical trials going on uh, to make oral tablet formations of these that could, you know, really reduce patient burden. Uh, and if they're able to do that, then you could see combination therapies. So now you don't have to take a separate insulin from a separate GLP-1 from a separate whatever. You can, you know, take one pill that combines all three. I totally agree with Todd that the incidence of diabetes is going to increase, um, mostly because I think that the global incidence of obesity is going to increase. Um, and since those diseases are so, so highly linked, and that's that's a controversial thing, calling obesity a disease, but since those two conditions are so, so highly linked, um, especially in developing nations, um, I think that you're you're going to see an increase in diabetes. Um, what I think would be really interesting to come out in the next two years, and they've started doing experiments in this, is looking at um, a way of mediating the autoimmune response that causes type 1 diabetes. So like somehow inhibiting the T-cell response that is causing the destruction of the beta cells in the pancreas that lead to type 1 diabetes. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen in the next 10 years, but they started doing the science for it, which is really exciting. That's a start. Yeah, that is fascinating. This has been a really, really interesting discussion today. Thank you both so much for being here. Folks listening, if you have any questions or show ideas for us, or you just want to say hello, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or reach out on Twitter at MF Industry Focus. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Gabby LaPera and Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!